I would love to have you take your Bibles. I told you just be a minute. Indeed, it was. And turn with me to the book of Galatians, chapter 1, where we will start in just a moment. And of course, the sermon notes in your bulletin will be a help to you. And as you pull those out, you will notice that we have added community group notes. We're back. Community groups begin this week. Uh, There is in the foyer a table with the current list of who is in which group, in case you're wondering if your group voted you off the island. You can go check. Now, I'm kidding, of course. Uh, the, the, the lists are about 95% accurate, meaning there's still some movement. Um, people, you, you, you all are still connecting with us, saying, that's not going to work, this is going to work, I need to switch days. Some of that is still going on, so I don't want you to look at those lists and say, this is it. Well, close. Uh, there are 50-some ladies involved in our women-to-women groups. There are 50-some guys in our Saturday morning ministry that involves some group-type things. And there are about 150-some of you all on those lists, okay? Uh, we were not able to meet every request. I hate that. I wish we could. But there were some of you who who uh, would be able to meet at certain times that we didn't have a group for or in a location we didn't have a group for just yet. But as God continues to grow us, we may have others who want to meet at those times, and it helps us to know um, that there's some interest in this night or this night or this night or this location. So take a look at those, but there's your community group notes. Uh, The book of Galatians is where we are going to find ourselves between now and, say, the end of February, time out, of course, at the holiday season, as we routinely do, to talk about Advent and um, the coming of Jesus. But the book of Galatians, about 17 sermons or so, uh, there is new artwork for this that I want to just have you look at with me. It's on the front of your bulletin and, of course, on the screens. It's intended to communicate, and it's intended that you'd look at it. It was put together, created by Felina Martins, who's one of our resident artists, and it's intended to look at the movement from blueprint to freedom and under sale as you move from one side to the other. In the book of Galatians, you find Paul uh, telling the folks to whom he, that he's writing to, you know, it's for freedom that Christ sets you free. Sail, sail, hang on to that freedom that Christ has bought for you. But in order to do that, he needs to go back to some foundations. So that's the blueprint side. And I think as we move into the weeks ahead, some things about that piece of art will make a little more sense to you. If you look at your sermon notes, uh, you see a number of things, some introductory elements that I'm going to comment on in a moment or two. Uh, Today, really laying the groundwork. We'll step into the text, but there's a lot of groundwork that I I want to talk about. In particular, I want to tell you a couple things about why I think we ought to study Galatians now. Some of that's here in front of you, but I want to add an element at this time. Uh, as, As we have mentioned a moment ago, God is growing us as a church and as God does that, there's about 50 per Sunday, more than there was a September ago, okay? That's about the year over last year growth. Wonderful as God brings people our way. As people come and become a part of this church family, some come from uh, a background that doesn't have as much theology or church involvement. Wonderful. You're welcome here. We're so glad if that's you. Not everybody is raised in a, in a setting where they go to church all the time or much, And so sometimes people come and and this is all really, really new. Others come and become part of this church family from other church backgrounds and church traditions, you might say. And 
Sometimes um, we, we say things differently about core truth, about the gospel, or we understand different things. Some of us, I know this because you tell me, some of you are exploring what's true and isn't true. And again, I'm so glad that you're here among us. This is a great place to explore what the Bible says and what's true and what isn't. So I, I look at us as a church, and there's so many areas in which I love, I love seeing what I like to call biblical diversity. I love it. Uh, different backgrounds, different political parties, uh, different school choices, different uh, family decisions, and a lot of areas. But, but one area where we need to be, oh man, spot on, is how you get to heaven. That is the work of Jesus. What is the gospel? We can have breadth and a ton of other areas that are just great. But, but the gospel, no, what is it? Come on. And it, it, I, I look today at broader Christianity. I reference this on your study notes. I, I, I am often deeply troubled by things that I hear said that seem to represent the gospel. And my heart here and here and here says, but that isn't the gospel. Why are you trying to sell that? Why did you write that in a book? Why did you preach that sermon? Why did you say that? And have, in some cases, otherwise well-meaning church attenders or followers of Jesus drink deeply from something that isn't true or is partially true. So I get profoundly concerned. And so for those reasons, a number of months ago in looking ahead to this fall, um, thinking and praying and so on, uh, came to the conclusion, no, this is a good time for us to come to the book of Galatians because it drills down deep in one area. And I think it'd be a good place for us to be for a number of months. So I'm, I'm looking forward to you all joining us. And we get to cover a lot of territory, New Testament, Old Testament, how you read and understand the Bible. There's some issues of confrontation and theology and culture and, and race. And, oh my goodness, it's all here in this book. And all of it centers around the gospel. So it is, it is my hope that we will be richly blessed as God leads us in these weeks ahead. I want to pray for us, and we'll jump right in. Pray with me, please. Our Father, thank you so much for your word. Uh, your word is a lamp to our feet, a light to our path. Your word is settled in heaven. How can we keep our way pure? By keeping it according to your word. And our Father, it is our desire that we would say with the psalm writer, with my whole heart I have sought you. Don't let me wander from your commandments. Father, in these days, uh, I pray that you would give us, as we study your word, an increasing love for the word of God and for you, because you're the one who gave it to us. Our Father, we want to have uh, attention to detail. We want to have a love of the book. But you're the one who gave the book, and you teach here a Savior, Jesus, who died on the cross for our sins. I pray, Father, that our, our love for a book would not stop at a book with, with pages and letters, that it would be directed to Jesus, our Savior, whose precious blood covers our sin. Father, um, may these be days of rich blessing for us all. Guide us now in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Sometimes I move quickly through uh, uh, the introductory elements or skip them completely and let you read them. I, I, I want to comment on some of these introductions today because we're laying a groundwork for months to come. So uh, allow me, if you will, uh, just a few background details. Uh, the book of Galatians was written to a group of churches 
It says in the text, as we'll read in a moment, to the churches of Galatia. If you have a, a study Bible with maps in the back, some of you do, you'll see an area that we would call Asia Minor. That would be the region of Galatia. There's debate about northern Galatia, southern Galatia. I know all of that. I got it. But you'll notice there on, on a map, if you have one, the names of some cities that you'll recognize because some of them have Bible books written to those locations, places Paul visited on his missionary journeys. This letter is likely Paul's earliest. Isn't that interesting? Of all the other letters, uh, 13 or so, that Paul wrote, this is likely the earliest. And he's writing to people who are young in their faith, enthusiastic, maybe welcoming too much, and lacking discernment, lacking foundation. So when others came along and said, hey, we bless and honor some of what Paul said, but we need to just button it up here. We just need to clarify what Paul meant. They bought, they bought it. They bought it hook, line, and sinker. And uh, so, so he's writing to them early, early on. Now, Paul is being attacked. That's certainly true. That's not unusual. Second Corinthians, you see Paul attacked as well. Some people said he couldn't speak very well. Some people said his letters are weighty. His physical appearance is, is uh, you know, lacks a little bit. Uh, I take that in the vernacular to say that there were those who said he was dumb and ugly. And that really didn't bother him that much. He might have been, uh, I suppose. Uh, but people were messing with the gospel. So he began to defend his apostolic authority, which we'll define in a minute. He began to say, no, no, uh, I'm not just some guy. No, I'm speaking on behalf of God himself, and here's why I know that. So he begins to defend himself because of the gospel, not because of a personal thing. Now, the topic and the style, these two. Galatians is not a book about Bible trivia. It's a letter about the heart of the gospel, and heaven and hell are at stake. You'll notice under style... This, I think it's kind of fun. Paul rolls up his sleeves, the sleeves of his robe. He gets his apostolic finger out to stick in the face of those who are messing with the gospel, and he goes after them. If he had a sword on his belt, he'd have it drawn. He speaks directly, confrontively, um, more strongly than you might think is nice at times because he's passionate about this. You're messing with the gospel. And if people listen to you, he would say to these other teachers, they're going to go straight to the pit of hell. And so the most loving thing he can do here is to take it on and be direct. The, most, the kindest thing he can do is to draw the sword. And he does it. So this letter is one of the most vehement. It's one of the most pulpit pounding. It's one of the number of places he uses phrases that when we get to you might go, oh, Paul, was that nice? And it is. It's incredibly nice to speak truth that matters a lot. So anyway, brace yourself. Take no prisoners. Uh, it's, he's, he's coming for you. Uh, it's, it's kind of fun that way. And I mentioned already one of the reasons why we should study this book in terms of our growth as a church but I mentioned in this case, the cultural ocean we swim in calls for compromise, imprecision, and doctrinal vagueness. Among the cultural things that we value, in, even in terms of, of faith, churches, you know this, is, well, love, love, I'm not a, against love, love is wonderful, <clears throat> but a loving place that lacks truth is not truly loving. A grace-filled place that lacks truth is not really representing grace. Jesus came full, what was it? Full of grace and truth full of both. And I believe a church that's, that's rooted in the word of God has got to have both truth and grace, grace and truth. 
So we need to study this book because as a church, we cannot, we cannot float around in this cultural mess of imprecision. Um, inclusivism, inclusiveness, yes, I get it in a lot of areas, but, but not so much here. I want to read the first 10 verses of Galatians, okay? And uh, I have a little opening paragraph there that talks about this. Be sure to read that. But I want to go right into the text here at this point. Let's hear the word of God then. Uh, we read this. Paul, an apostle, not from men, nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me, to the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. He uses the term heteros. It's different. It's not the same thing. It's a different gospel. Not that there is another one. But there are some who trouble you and want to distort, twist the gospel of Christ. That's his opening salvo. That's the problem he's addressing. Now, this is how important it is, verse 8. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we already preached to you, let him be accursed. That's the the word anathema. You've heard that term, anathema. It means let him be accursed forever, or in the proper use of this term, let that person be damned. That would be the right use of that term sent to hell. That's how strong Paul is is speaking about here. As we have said before, he's going to repeat it, verse 9. As we've said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary, different from the one you have already received, let him be anathema, accursed. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant, a slave, bondservant of Christ. Wow. So Paul waits till the second paragraph before the gloves come off. Now, interesting, we'll talk through this section. Something's missing in this opening paragraph. Uh, Paul uses the normal formula for the day, uh, beginning a letter by identifying himself as the writer and the people that he's addressing. That's normal. But in many of Paul's letters, maybe most, he says something nice to the people that he's writing to. Completely gone here. He can hardly wait, it would seem, to get to verse 6. He is, he is I, I mean, I can just picture the steam coming out of his ears. Holy wrath is, is, is what I think Paul has. Uh, so so the, all the little nice stuff has already gone out the window. He's, he's loaded for bear. Now, in verses 1 to 5, though, Paul introduces some things that are going to be fleshed out in the chapters to come, and they are of utmost importance. In verse 1, he underscores, he begins to head toward his apostolic authority. Okay? And you look at your study sheet, you see what I have here. The gospel comes with God's authority. Have it under that heading. 
Uh, Paul, an apostle, not from man nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. In other words, Paul is not an apostle because he scored well on a career aptitude test. He did not grow up and say, what should I do with my life? Should I be a school teacher or should I be a businessman or maybe an apostle? Maybe I'll be an apostle. What are the hours? Now, he didn't do that. Uh, he says, in, in fact, to read the story of his coming to Christ, he didn't vote on it. God intervened in his life. God arrested him as he was headed to Damascus. You find the story in the book of Acts, community group notes. I'll invite you to read that. God intervened in his life. It was God's call who grabbed the apostle Paul by his little uh, robe, so to speak, knocked him to the ground and said, I'm Jesus, the one you're persecuting. He saw the living, the resurrected Christ and Paul went, oh my, I got it wrong. And God began to work in his life during those times of telling him the gospel, explaining to him what's true. Paul, now get this, please. Paul was a capital A apostle. What do I mean by that? Now pay attention to this, please. This is, this is such big stuff, even in contemporary um, faith circles. I believe that in the Bible, there are capital A apostles and small A apostles, even though it doesn't represent itself that way. Both two different kinds are taught in the New Testament. The, the word apostle means a sent one, and it's sometimes used in a broad sense. I call it small a apostles. I, I send you to the, to the grocery store for a gallon of milk. I send you. You're an apostle to the store to get a gallon of milk. What's at stake? Not much other than my breakfast. Apostle, sent. Anybody can be sent. Not a lot to it. Sent. He sends somebody with a letter. Sends some. Then there's a different kind of apostle. I call it a capital A apostle because it's a one through whom God reveals truth. Uh, Paul will say, 2 Corinthians 12, 12, the signs of an apostle were done among you. And he describes what the, there were signs that accompanied that kind of an apostle. Ephesians chapter 2 talks about the church being built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. Uh, in another place, I think it's 2 Corinthians, Paul talks about his de- defending himself as an apostle. He, and he says, have I not seen Christ? That was a qualification for an apostle in the capital A sense. So easily defended from the New Testament, when Paul says he's an apostle, he doesn't mean eh, just another one of the guys. He's claiming authority on a whole different level. Specifically, authority that comes from God. Paul was used by God to give us about half the New Testament. When he spoke, it was God speaking through him. Yes, using his personality and style, all of those things. Paul is claiming authority here. When Paul preached the gospel, he wasn't preaching something that he kind of sat down and said, well, let's see, what, like a political party, what should be our platform? Let's vote things in and out. That's not what he did. It was, it was from God, direct from God. Here is truth. He communicated it. So when he says an apostle, this changes everything. For someone to use that term today, sometimes people do. They use it in the small a sense. I guess I don't yell at all of them, but if somebody is claiming to be an apostle and speaking directly from God, I'm saying, yeah, you know what? I don't think so. It's right here. God has spoken, and it's in the written word of God. That's where, that's where the authority is today, not in somebody else who says, oh, you know what? I'm, you're, only, you're only correct if you're speaking from the word of God on his behalf. Thus saith the Lord right here. Uh, that's the written word of God. Paul's claiming an authority 
he's right. He's speaking on behalf of God. That's going to that's be a theme through this book. Okay? The authority of the word of God, the authority of the apostles, the apostolic authority. Now, I reference at the end of at the, at verse 2, he says, and all the brothers who are with me, uh, I don't think that's establishing Paul's authority, but he's saying I'm not alone in my understanding of the gospel. I'm not writing this confrontive letter all by myself. Now, verses 3 to 5, again, a greeting, if you glance down at those little words, a greeting, yes, and yet at the same time, he's speaking gospel. He can hardly talk without talking gospel. And I just break it down into five different elements that I think are so important. He says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. He could have stopped right there, but he doesn't. Christ gave himself for our sins. Well, who initiated the gospel? God did. God initiated the gospel. Uh, It's about his work. Jesus, of course, gave himself for our sins. For our sins. Wow, God's wrath being satisfied. To deliver us from this present evil age. The mercy of God. The mercy of God toward us. To whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. The gospel is for God's glory. So he, he just he's laying a gospel foundation. Now, verses 6 through 10, there's an abrupt change. Paul ramps it up and says, I am astonished that you were so quickly deserting him. I can't believe it, he says. <laughs> you folks were so clear on the gospel not that long ago. I turn around twice. And you are deserting. You are, it's present tense. You're doing it now. You're deserting him. You're not just leaving a doctrinal statement. You're deserting Christ. Now, you say, well, were, were they, were they, had they pitched Christianity? No. Now, get this, please. The people that were troubling them, as Paul puts it, they were not throwing out the whole gospel. They were adding something to it. Did you get this? They were adding something to it. And in adding to it, they were throwing it out. That's where Paul's going with this. When you add to, when you try to help the gospel, when you clarify it by adding requirements, you're messing up the whole thing. No, you're deserting. Paul puts it that way. You're deserting him. It's a different gospel because you added something to it. You added a requirement. Weeks ahead, we're going to talk about what was the specific issue in this day. It's different down through the generations. But when somebody adds something as a requirement to the gospel, this, this is not just ancient history, folks. This is going on today, now, all around us. People add something. Sometimes they do it, I, I want to say, well-meaning, out of fear. You, you're going to recognize this. this, this the, the, the fear-based approach to Christianity tends to, tends to try to help Jesus out a little bit and can very, very quickly pollute the gospel. Now, Think well with me and listen carefully. Uh, One of the things about the gospel, when it is taught and preached, Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, rose from the dead. He bore our sins on the cross. We're forgiven by him when we trust him as our savior. Slate wiped clean, forgiven, name written in the Lamb's book of life, signed up for heaven, right? You with me so far? How quickly can someone say, well, wait, hold on. Are you saying then, no matter what I do, I belong to him? What's the answer to that? 
Well, let's talk about that for a minute. On the one hand, if a person signs up for heaven and thinks they did with the intent of living like the devil, maybe they didn't sign up. That's in 1 John chapter 2. But on the other hand, if a person is genuinely born again and still sins, are they going to heaven? Well, yes. Good. Isn't that good news? Because you know what, folks, what are you going to do this week? Hopefully not on purpose, but you're probably going to sin again this week. Can you imagine if every time you did something wrong, you were cut off from Christ? Now, in Romans chapter 6, Paul addresses this issue when he says, what then? Shall we sin because we're not under law but under grace? That is willfully sin? Should we march right in? Should, should we sin because we're not under law but under grace? He answers, God forbid, or may it never be, or some other way that your translation covers it. It's an emphatic, no, dummy. Come on. You didn't sign up for heaven intending to live like the devil. No, in that case, you probably didn't sign up. But, but come on. Now, I want to read... I want to read on this. Uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones, a preacher from yesteryear, and uh, he, was, he was, this is from his preaching on Romans 6. He was mulling these issues over in a sermon, and he's, he's addressing the question in Romans 6 from the Apostle Paul, are we to continue in sin that grace may increase? Now, I want you to hear him carefully. He says, The true preaching of the gospel of salvation by grace alone always leads to the possibility of this charge being brought against it. And he's referring to the idea, um, shall we continue in sin that grace may increase? He says, there is no better test as to whether a person is actually preaching the New Testament gospel of salvation than that some people misunderstand it. How about that? Wow. Wow misunderstand it, misinterpret it to mean that it amounts to this. Because you're saved by grace alone, it doesn't matter at all what you do. You can go on sinning as much as you like because it'll redound all the more to the, go- to the glory of grace. This is a very good test of gospel preaching. If my preaching and presentation of the gospel of salvation does not expose it to that misunderstanding, then I have not preached the gospel. I'm giving you something to think about here, huh? I hope so. Now, Chuck Swindoll summarizes this. He goes, there's a lot more from Lloyd-Jones. In fact, I need to read this from Lloyd-Jones. He says, I would say this to all preachers. If your preaching of, the, of salvation has never been misunderstood in this way, then you'd better examine your sermons again. You'd better make sure you are really preaching the salvation that is offered in the New Testament to the ungodly, to the sinner, to those dead in trespasses and sins, to those who are enemies of God. Swindoll would add, if you claim to be a messenger of grace, if you're really preaching God's grace and no one is taking advantage of it, maybe you have not preached it hard enough or strong enough. Now, are they encouraging people to take advantage of God's grace? No, they're really not. They're not encouraging people to intentionally take advantage of grace. But their point is this. Sometimes in preaching grace, people come along, preaching the gospel, people come along and say, well, we can't have anybody misunderstand that. So right as I say Christ died for your sins, all of them. You're covered by the blood of Christ. We quickly say the next word, but. And then we start working this other element to say, now behave, be careful, and before long, we've hardly even talked about the gospel. 
We've been so careful to button it up, button it up, button it up, button it up, help God out. Clearly, the gospel is dangerous. I got to make sure nobody ever misunderstands. We work harder at buttoning it up than Jesus did. There's a lot here for us to think about. But what, what Paul is talking about here, there, were, there was a group, we often call them in Bible circles, Judaizers, because they were coming into the, the churches of Galatia and saying, the gospel, yes, plus. And they wanted to add one element from the Mosaic law, in their case, and make it a requirement for salvation. And Paul calls that plus, gospel plus. What's he say? He calls it a different gospel, distorting the gospel. Imagine, you distorted it because you said plus. You wanted to button it up. You wanted to clarify. You wanted to say yes, 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 but also. And he calls it a different gospel, heteros. You're distorting it and you're doing it now. And he's battling for that. No, Christ and Christ alone. Don't say plus about anything. Now, in the weeks ahead, we're going to talk about the role of works. Do they add to the gospel or do they result from the gospel? And it makes a world of difference what you do with what I just said. See, good works result from the gospel. They don't add. You would go to church or read your Bible not to make God love you more. He can't possibly love you more than he already does. Not to earn his favor. You already have his favor because of Jesus. Not to get your sins forgiven. Not to get a better pipeline to heaven. You already have those things because of Jesus. So we'll be talking about a lot of that in the weeks ahead. Now, if you look at your study sheet, then, Paul's shock is palpable. Their error is blameworthy. Absolutely. To improve the gospel is to pervert it. Yes. Uh, one writer says this about the greatest danger to the, to the gospel. He says the most destructive dangers to the church have never been atheism, pagan religions, or cults that openly deny scripture, but rather supposedly Christian movements that accept so much biblical truth that their unscriptural doctrines seem hard, uh, relatively insignificant and harmless. He says the, the biggest danger to God's people isn't something that blatantly is obviously wrong. You get the idea. But something that sounds so close to the truth that you don't even notice the stuff that someone kind of sneaks in. And it happens all the time around us on TV and radio, uh, Christian radio, books that are written, magazine articles, blogs that are written ostensibly by, by good Christian people who are, who are twisting things just, just, just a bit. Just a bit. And before long have distorted the gospel. And sometimes God's people don't even notice. Uh, we should have a gospel radar on that says, wait, 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 is that the gospel? We need to be asking those things. Is that the gospel? Hmm. Now, verses 8 and 9, Paul underscores how important this is. I noted this as we read. This, these are the anathemas. He says it twice. What happens if you repeat something? <laughs> Often, parents, what do you do? You repeat it. If I told you once, I told you a thousand times. Your kid's going, don't even say it. I already know. I already know the speech. These are the following six things as I'm leaving the door. I know. Don't, 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 and come home right away. I got it. We repeat things that are important because we're afraid that they're not going to get it. So Paul says, even if we, 
If we, Paul says, yes, if in my later ministry I show up and say, I want to just correct what I said earlier, he says, don't believe me. How about that? Even if we, or an angel from heaven, you're in the middle of the night, you're awakened there, not sure if it's the pepperoni pizza or what it is, but there's some being standing at the end of your bed saying, lo and behold, I have new truth. He says, you know what? Don't believe them. If they're preaching something different, they are not from God no matter how cool their shiny robe is. That's going to be heresy if it's something different. If we, if we or an angel from heaven preach to you anything else other than what we've already delivered, the gospel already once and for all delivered to the saints. Paul says, don't you believe it? Don't you believe me if I tell you something different than this? Don't you believe an angel from heaven? And as I said before, here we go, verse 9, now I say it again. <laughs> wow, if anybody, if anyone preaches to you a gospel different, contrary to what you've received, let that person be accursed. Let that person be eternally damned because they're going to lead some people astray. Wow, clearly he's not interested here in making friends and influencing people, verse 10, seeking, seeking to please God. Just him, just him. Well, in the weeks ahead, we get to step into what the deal was with the Galatians. We're going to see Paul go toe-to-toe with another apostle who got it wrong. We're going to, we're going to address issues in the Old Testament. The Old Testament points to the gospel. We're going to talk about other errors, places where people get it wrong. If you look at the section called Responding to God's Word, I, I want to comment on these two areas and then a visit to my library, and we'll call it good. Um, in one of the books that I have listed down there, it's called Nine Marks of a Healthy Church by Mark Dever. Some of you are reading this with me now. Uh, some of our men. Uh, Mark Dever, this book is about 20 years old. I'd call it a contemporary classic, um, not only for its content, but by how many other people quote it favorably. Um, but Dever shows up uh, in chapter 3, his third mark of a healthy church. It's about dealing with the gospel. And he has a section here about what the gospel is not. And I want to read you his and then add a couple of my own. Things that the Bible uh, does not say is the gospel. He has a section called, The Gospel is Not Simply That We're Okay, thinking I'm okay, you're okay. Christianity is not fundamentally a religious therapy session where we feel good about ourselves. Well, that's true. The gospel is not, get this, simply that God is love. Simply that. Yes, God is love, but that's not the end of it. Uh, The good news, he says, third, is not simply that Jesus wants to be your best friend. I've heard some gospel invitations that make it sound like that, that mainly what God is calling you to do is be be Jesus' best friend rather than to repent and believe the gospel. Wow, that's not the gospel. He says, finally, the good news, the gospel is not simply that God will one day renew creation. So we get little bits and pieces. I would like to add, the gospel is not that God just wants you to have a happy life and have all your problems solved. So I've heard that sold. You come to Christ, all these problems you face in your life, you know, kind of like God will fix them. Is that true? No, he might introduce more. You might be a bigger mess in a year than you are today, but you'll be headed to heaven. The gospel is not simply that God wants you to be happy. The gospel is not simply that God wants you to be successful, make a lot of money, be strong and healthy. He may be taking you to heaven soon. That isn't the gospel. So 
I read a paragraph then and we'll be about done. Mark Dever, this is a lengthy paragraph. I'm not saying you have to have this all memorized or else you didn't say the gospel. The Bible uses shorthand for the gospel, like believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. Dever spells it out like this. See if this is what you understand and believe. He says the good news, that is the gospel, is the one, is that the one and only God who is holy made us in his image to know him. But we sinned and cut ourselves off from him. In his great love, God became a man in Jesus, lived a perfect life, died on the cross, thus fulfilling the law himself, taking on himself the punishment for the sins of all who would ever turn and trust in him. He rose again from the dead, showing that God accepted Christ's sacrifice and that God's wrath against us has been exhausted. He ascended and presented his completed work to his heavenly father. He now sends his spirit to call us through this message to repent of our sins and to trust Christ alone for our forgiveness. If we repent of our sins and trust in Christ, we're born again into a new life, an eternal life with God. At the very center of the gospel stands the great exchange of Christ's righteousness and our sin. His substitutionary, in our place, death on the cross is the heart of the message. Did you get that? That's a lengthier spelling out of the gospel, and I hope you believe every word of it. Now, um, I give you a, a list. If you want to get a look at any of these books, I have them all here. Some people like to see if they're readable or if they're thin. Uh, <laughs> but you can look at them here. Um, I suggest, I recommend these to you if you're a reader. I'd like to pray for us that God will help us today and in the weeks and months ahead. Stand with me, please. Our Father, as we head into this lengthy study of this pivotal book, I pray that you would give us a passion for truth. Yes, absolutely, but our Father, the ability to carry the truth, not in some angry-faced, frowny approach, but with grace and truth, both passionately loving people you send us to, loving them enough to point them to Christ. Father, give us a a love for precision without being picky. And our Father, yes, bathe it all with the love of God for a lost world. Thank you for your truth today, for each of these dear people here present. Uh, Father, have your hand upon each one as we walk through this week. Point us to Christ. We pray this in his great name. Amen.